Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. How many of you are grateful that in Christ the promises of God are yes and amen? That if he said it, we can see it happen. I believe that in the season that we are, are in that we need to rely on and stand on God's promises like we never have before. And one of the ways we do that, by the way, is relying on his word. And his word is, is our only authority given to us as a guide for, for living. That's what we believe as a church. And because of that, we're gonna dive into some areas in God's word. Let me, let me just say this. I'm excited, but I'm also nervous. And here's why. We're gonna talk about spiritual warfare and I say I'm nervous because as soon as I say that I know there are all different kinds of thoughts surrounding that some confusion maybe some a little bit of you know I don't know about that I don't want to I don't want to deal with that the other side of that there are people in this room they're like yes amen praise God let's bind and rebuke and let's go for it right but here's what I know if we would just allow God's word to speak to us whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I believe that God's brought you here for a purpose. And in this, this series, I don't think I'm going to have to yell at you. I don't think I'm going to have to preach at you, really. Here's what I believe. If we just open up God's word and the meat of his word, let me put it this way, that good meat is about to make its own gravy all month long. Are you with me? If we just dive into what God's word says, I believe he'll speak to you as we approach it with an open heart, spiritual eyes. The Bible says there are two different kinds of eyes. There are eyes in our head that give us sight, but there's also eyes in our heart that give us understanding. And so today we're just asking that God would give us understanding. Would you pray with me, God? We ask that you would speak to us in this moment, in this series, as we dive into some areas of your word that, you know, I'll be honest, are, are confusing. And you say that your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher than our ways, God, but through your spirit, God will help lead us into all truth. And so we're asking that today as we dive into this content, that your spirit would lead us. Holy Spirit, teach. Holy Spirit, help us understand God's word today. In Jesus' name, stay standing, stay standing. I want to read to you the opening text. This is from Paul, uh, who was writing this letter to a church in Ephesus, and this church wasn't a church previously. It's a bunch of people who got saved, who understood the gospel, who understood that Jesus came, died for their sins, was crucified on a cross, buried, came back to life. And so now the good news of who Jesus is is spreading like wildfire. And people are grabbing hold of the salvation, this free gift that is available in Christ. And maybe that's where some of you are. Maybe it's recent that you've made a decision to cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, take, take my life. And so that's who Paul is talking to in this passage we're going to read. A group of new believers, a new community, trying to figure out how do I live this new Christian life. And he says this in verse 10, finally, be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You need to know something about the enemy. He is a, a schemer. He's a, a, a strategist, and that's the way that he attacks. For our struggle, don't miss this, is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, 
against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. There are three different Greek words used here. Uh, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness are, are the words. Against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's why we're entitling this series The Unseen. In fact, in, in the New Living Translation, it, it calls it The Unseen. Therefore, put on, someone say put on. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, that you may be able to take your stand and stand your ground. That after you've done everything you could do, after you've cried and prayed and prayed and cried and exhausted all the avenues that you thought you had available to you, after you've done everything you know how to do to stand. I want to speak to us today from this subject, unseen, but not insignificant. Unseen, not insignificant. Go ahead and have a seat. Grab out your notebooks, your pens, your paper, whatever you got, your phone. Because in this series, uh, I'm encouraging you to take a bunch of notes because the, the, the content, you know, is a little bit um, different than maybe what we're used to. This is going to be more of a teaching kind of series. Unseen, but not insignificant. According to God's word, whether you know it or not, whether you choose to believe it or not, we are in a war. We're in a war. Like right now, there are things happening around us that we don't even know. Whether you realize it or not, we have an evil, invisible adversary who the Bible describes using different names, Satan, the devil, um, Beelzebub is one of them. Like there are different names used to describe him, but it doesn't matter how you describe him. His ultimate agenda is to keep you from living the life as God intended. Like that's really his number one goal, that, that God has created us to live a, a life, the, the kingdom life, and the, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the difficulty in a message series like this is that for many of you, this subject might seem mythical, this content might seem inconsequential, maybe even trivial to you. I'm not sure how you're approaching it, but I suggest that to deny the existence of the evil one, of the enemy, is to deny the reliability of the scriptures themselves. If you want to deny them, because God's word is so inundated from cover to cover with information about our adversary that not to believe in him means that by virtue of that fact that you're, you cannot believe in God's word. Jesus talks about him. 26 different times Jesus talks about him in the gospels. You can't open your Bible without running into him. From cover to cover, he's there. In Genesis, we see uh, that in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 2, he created Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 3, he's there in the garden. He shows up as a snake. You go from Genesis to Revelation, and he's there. He's a, a, a snake in Genesis, and in Revelation, he is a dragon. And if you see him around today, he takes the form of cats all over the place. So he's all throughout the Bible all throughout our lives. Again, Jesus mentions him 26 times in the gospel, so we can't ignore him, or you can, I guess. You can dismiss him if you want to, but just because you choose to ignore him or dismiss him does not mean he does not impact your life. Are you with me? That he impacts where we are, and Jesus paints a clear picture of him 
In John 10, 10, he says, a thief, Satan, the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that you might have life and life to the full. In other words, there is a kingdom life that God wants you to have. There is a kingdom life that God wants you, you, you to live, to experience. And it was Jesus who came to give you that life. And the enemy wants to do everything that he can to keep you from living that life. Did you know that? You can have a life and not be living that life. You can have a life, but you can be living and not really alive. And here's what I believe. Far too many people are walking around as the walking dead. Not living the life, the full life that God intended for us, us to live. But here's what I think. <clears throat> Excuse me. Today, the enemy is upset. Today, the enemy is getting a little bit nervous because he does not want to be exposed to how he operates, to the, the tactics that he uses. I think he is agitated and nervous about this, which is why for some of you, you, you struggle to get to church today. Because the enemy did not want you to hear this message. For some of you that are watching online, it was a struggle to jump on today. In fact, it might be a little bit, a bit, you know, bad connection that you're having because I think he's nervous about you getting this information. He's afraid that if you will wake up to his schemes and wake up to his, his tactics, then you would be able to live that life, that full life that Jesus came for you to live. A life of joy, of purpose right, of, of peace, that kingdom life. And it's critically important for us to know, church, that all, we are always impacted by the unseen. That just because something isn't seen doesn't mean it is insignificant. We know this, right? Come on, you can't see COVID, but get it, and you'll find out how significant it is. You can't see the flu, right, but get it you'll find out how, insignificant, or how significant that it, it really is. And if you would approach this and say, well, I don't believe it, then let's at least say that you're coming from a place of, of, of bias because there are a lot of things in life that you can't see that you believe in. The wind, you can't see the wind, but you see the effects and the impacts of, of the, the wind. So just because it's unseen does not mean it is insignificant. And this is the point that Paul is trying to make to this new group of believers, to this new community. And by the way, Paul is writing this from a Roman jail cell. And he spends the majority of this letter addressing your identity in Christ. In fact, that's chapter one, that, that you know, who you are in Christ, praying that the, the eyes of your heart would be opened, right? Because we have eyes in our head that give us sight, eyes of our heart that give us understanding. And he's praying that this new group of believers would gain understanding of this. In chapter two, he talks about how you are God's workmanship, that you are his handiwork, that you are his masterpiece. It's kind of like God is a potter and you're a piece of clay and he puts you on the wheel and he's spinning you around and he's working your life. He's shaping your life. He's forming your life. And if you stay on that wheel long enough, he'll work the lumps out of your life. And for some of you, the reason why you are not yet where you want to be is because you need to get back on the wheel and allow God to work some areas out of your life. Are you with me? Come to church. Get to a small group. You know, pray, read, study. It's the way that God works some of those areas out of our life. So he talks about that in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he talks about the mystery of his power 
and how his power is at work within us. Chapter four, he challenges people to walk worthy of the calling to which they have been, been created and are called to, which is, is just simply means if you are a follower of Jesus, act like it. Like how, how much better would our world be today if we just acted like you know, the, the followers of Jesus that many of us are. And so we just act that way, walk worthy of that calling. In chapter five, he talks about how our faith plays out in our marriage relationships. You should read that. It's a great chapter. Chapter six, he talks about parenting and some other important things. And then he says, finally, as he begins to conclude and wrap up this letter to this group of new believers, he says, finally, I have one more thing to tell you that if I don't tell you this, it would be ministry malpractice on my part because you, you got to get this. He says, finally, I know there are some things that, that we've talked about. There's a lot of things about identity and a lot of things about relationships and marriage. And I know you're trying to live out this, this new calling and I know you're trying to be a, a Christ follower in a hostile environment, in a pagan culture. He says, but finally, I gotta tell you this, finally, he says, be strong. Now, why would Paul, a seasoned man of faith, a tent maker from Tarsus, a, a, a devoted Pharisee who had a, who had a radical life-altering you know, change with a, an encounter with Jesus, why would he tell this new group of Christians to be strong? Notice what he didn't say. He did not say feel strong. Because how many of you know sometimes you got to be strong even when you don't feel strong? Are you with me? Isn't that what God told Joshua in chapter 1? Hey, be strong and courageous because there's some battles ahead. And again, sometimes you got to be strong. We don't feel strong. You don't always feel strong. But he says be strong. Why? Because you want to experience that life, the kingdom life, the life that Jesus, you know, came to so you could have a full life. So he says, be strong. How many of you know, though, that's easier said than done? It's easier said than done, is it not? Because some of you entered into 2020 and you had all kinds of ideas about what this year would look like. You thought this was gonna be my year. You had 2020 vision. You know, I heard a lot of people talk about that. I got 2020 vision. I'm gonna get some things right. My life is finally gonna reflect my values, I'm gonna line up my, my priorities. And then what happened? March happened, and COVID happened, and quarantine happened, and shelter in place happened, did it not? And all this stuff that you had planned, why? Because easier said than done. My wife and I, we pulled out our goals for 2020 and took a look at them, and we wrote something down that we wanted to do every single month. You know how many we got through? Uno. <laughs> That's it. It's like one of them. Well, Colby, quarantine didn't happen until March. I know, don't judge me. So we failed after, you know, the first month. But I'm saying it's easier said than, than done. We have a lot of things maybe that we wanted to change that are easier said than done. Why is that? Because oftentimes more of something means more of something else. And you gotta have grace and strength to handle what comes from both sides, because many times whenever you get what you want, you will often get something that you don't want. 
And the question is not, can you handle you know, what it is that you want? The question is, can you handle what you don't want that you got with what you want? What do you mean, Colby? Here's what I mean. Sometimes people will say, I want to have, have kingdom success. Are you sure? Because the other side of kingdom success is worldly jealousy. Are you sure you can handle both sides of it? Colby, I want to I move forward in my faith. Are you sure? Because what did Jesus say? You know, if they, they hate you, remember they hated me first, that you're going to be persecuted as a follower of Jesus. I want, I want to move forward in my faith. Are you sure? Because sometimes moving forward means leaving some people behind. Because there are some people in your life that like the dysfunctional you, that are happy with the dysfunctional you, that, that like you when you are not well, and they would rather have the dysfunctional you. Don't assume that every person in your circle of friends, right, wants to be hungry and passionate and will be excited about your forward progress in your faith. That's not going to happen. Like, they like you when you are dysfunctional because you like to do the dysfunctional stuff that they like to do. And dysfunction loves company. But Paul says you got to be strong to this new group of believers because you're dealing with opposition. And watch what he says. Be strong in the Lord, not just be strong. In other words, this is going to take more than willpower. This is going to take more than, more than just discipline. He says be strong in the Lord because there's a different dynamic now that you are up against. Now that you are a Christ follower, now that you are a believer, that you've allowed Jesus to pay for your, your sins, now that you are in Christ, the enemy has a different interest in you that he did not have before. So he says you gotta be strong in the, the Lord. The devil is now concerned about you in ways that he was not, not before because now as your life changes, now as your life grows, now as you, you become formed into the image of, of Christ, your life now brings glory to God. See, it's one thing to be winning in life. It's another thing to be winning in a way that brings glory to God. And the last thing the enemy wants you to do, by the way, is to bring glory to God. That's what got him kicked out of heaven in the first place. He wants to be glorified. He wanted to be worshiped. He didn't want God to be. He wanted to be at the same, same place. But when you start making a difference and you start bringing glory, glory to God, the enemy doesn't like that. So he says, not only do you have to be strong, you have to be strong in the, the Lord because the enemy is going to try to stop you. Remember, his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And now that you are a follower of Jesus, right, he does not want you bringing glory, glory to God. And so he says, you got to be strong in the, the Lord because you're a new follower of Jesus and you have to be strong because opposition is coming from two different realms, now, hang with me in this. I know some of this is going to be maybe confusing. Uh, some of this might seem a little bit out there. But he says in two different realms because some people experience opposition in the natural and that's it. But he says, now you, as a follower of Jesus, not only do you experience opposition in the natural, but now you have opposition in the spiritual as well. Did you know that you are a spirit, soul, and body? You are made up of those three. And the spirit part of you is a part of you that lasts for eternity. I don't know what, what you think about that or, or when you hear that, but that's the part of you that, that doesn't die. That Paul says what we're in, this body, is a tent. 
It's a temporary dwelling place. It's just a, a housing for the spirit that's inside of you, and it's that spirit inside of you, right, that, that allows you to, to confess Jesus as Lord, that allows you to be in a relationship with God. His spirit communes with our spirit. And so you're more than just this body. You need to see that. You are a, a spirit, and as a follower of Jesus, now you have opposition not just in the natural, but opposition in the spiritual. And the devil does not want you to win because you winning in life, you breaking strongholds in your life, you getting free from addictions in your life, you getting you know, free from different chains that hold you, glorifies God and he does not want that. So he comes to steal that, which is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.3, Look at it, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. That the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. Again, the world's weapon is willpower. The world's weapon is, is discipline. If I just need to work harder, I just need more, more willpower, more discipline. But it's kind of like the, the enemy is sending wind towards your boat, towards your sail. And so there's this constant resistance this opposition to you moving forward. And some of you might say, well, Colby, I don't feel that. I don't feel that resistance. Well, it could be that you're moving in the same direction as the, the wind that the enemy is sending. Are you with me? You, maybe you're advancing his agenda. But Paul says we can't fight that. We can't fight this unseen, invisible you know, resistance with the weapons of this, this world. It's a different dynamic. You're dealing with spiritual opposition. So he says willpower doesn't do it. Discipline alone doesn't doesn't do it, which is why you can subscribe to every podcast, you can go to every seminar, you can live in the self-help section of Barnes & Noble if you want. You can repeat you know, positive affirmations over your life every single day, and it does not work because it doesn't just take willpower. You can go to every meeting, you can go to every program that you want and, and still be like, it's not working. Why is it my discipline? That might be a little bit of it, but not all of it. Is it, my, is it my plan that I have in place? That might be some of it, but that's not all of it. I submit there's something else that you are not taking into account. It's the X factor. And again, you can ignore it if you want to, but you're still being impacted by it. And the enemy that we have that's working against us, we can't just fight with, with willpower. If it only took willpower, you wouldn't have the same resolutions year after year after year after year. Are you with me? There's more than that, more than willpower. He says this, here's what we need. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Somebody say divine power. We don't need just willpower. We need divine power to demolish the strongholds. That's what we need, and that's what's available to us. He says, be strong in the Lord. And you might hear that, and you say, that sounds good. That sounds right. I took some notes. I, I want to, to do that. The question is, Colby, how? Right? How do, we, how do we do this? How do we be strong in the Lord? I think a lot of times this is where we stop. We'll read this verse, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. Be strong in the, the Lord. But I don't think the church has done a great job explaining this biblically. Biblically, I don't think we've tackled the, the idea of spiritual warfare uh, and done a great job with it, which is why I want to spend the next few weeks talking through it. Because here's who I know is in the room. There are confused people in the room. And that by, might be more like me. Where God says, you know, my ways are not your ways, and, and there's a lot of stuff in here, and it can be confusing. So I think we need to dive into this 
together. There are some of you that are just unaware of it, or some of you that would rather ignore it altogether and be like, this doesn't even exist. There's the other side of it. There are people in this room, again, that you're like, yeah, let's go. Let's bind and loose and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Let's rebuke, you know, the enemy, and you're binding and loosing, but you don't even know where that is in the Scripture. Well, yeah, yeah, well, Jesus said, you know, whatever you bind in, on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever. You, yeah, he did say that, but did you read anything else? Did you read anything beyond that? See, I think a lot of people have been brought up in traditions where there's lots of binding and loosing, but they don't even know what they're doing. Maybe you're like the sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19, where, where these sons of this Jewish priest, you know, went to rebuke an enemy, a, a demon in Jesus' name, and the demon looked at him and he said, I know Jesus, and Paul I know, but you, I have no idea who you are because you have no idea what you're talking about. And my fear is that a lot of us, when it comes to this, this content and spiritual warfare, we don't have a lot of idea what we're talking about or what to do with it, right? So it's kind of like, help us, Paul. Figure this, this out. We need some, some help because what happens is we start forming philosophies and we start forming theologies based on speculation and experiences that, of course, cannot be validated because, after all, it's unseen. So we need help. And Paul gives us the answer to what he told us to do in verse 10 where he said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because verse 11, he says, put on. Again, say put on. Put on the full armor of God. You know what that means? You will not experience this automatically. You have to put it on. That just because something is available to you does not mean that you are benefiting from it. Paul says you have to be consistent. You have to put on the armor. You have to be intentional about putting on, and he says, the full armor of God. Not part of it, not some of it, but all of it. You got to put on the helmet of salvation. You got to put on the, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the shield of faith. Right? You gotta you gotta put on all those those things. You have to put on the, the, the shoes, the right shoes, because you can't fight if you don't have the right grip. So he says, put on this, the, the belt of truth. Because whatever area is exposed is the area that the enemy will attack, attack and target. So he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Now don't miss this. He did not say put on the full armor so it will prevent the attacks. Because how many of you know there are some things in life you can't prevent? There are some devils, there are some demons, there are some situations that you cannot rebuke. There are some storms that you're just going to have to swim your way through. There are some giants, come on, where are my giant killers in the room? We got some giant killers that are killing some giants in their life. There are some giants that you are going to have to plant your feet and square your shoulders and raise your head up high and face, right? He didn't say you're going to prevent the enemy from attacking. He said so you can take your stand. So that you can look at your enemy and say, hey, when the dust settles and the rain stops falling, I'm going to still be standing. So you can look at your giant. You can look at that storm. You can look at that addiction. You can look at that, that oppression. You can look at whatever that thing is and say, hey, one of us is going to give up and it's not going to be me. Are you with me? I'm a fighter. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. He says, so you can take your stand. You got to stand. In order to stand, you have to put on the armor of God and stand against what? Look at it. The devil's scheme. Somebody say schemes. He's a schemer. He's a, he's a planner. 
He, he works behind the scenes. He's a strategist. And you got to put on your armor to defend yourself against the strategies, the schemes. And look at this. Most of the armor is designed to protect you from close combat. Most of that armor that, that he, he lists, in fact, you have to remember, Paul is in a Roman jail cell, and so he's looking at these Roman guards, and they're all probably decked out in all their gear, so chances are he's using uh, their armor as inspiration as he educates the people in Ephesus. He says so much of the armor benefits you in close combat, which is interesting, right? Because the question is, after all, uh, if, if our spiritual enemy is unseen, if he exists in a, a different realm, if he is otherworldly, why do I need physical armor to prevent the attacks from an unseen enemy. I submit that your enemy is no ordinary enemy. Your adversary is not an ordinary adversary, that he operates and works in both realms, the spiritual and the natural. And I believe God's word makes that clear for us. In fact, even the way he writes it, he says the helmet of salvation, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. He even lists natural and, and, and spiritual, or, or tangible and intangible, right? The helmet, tangible. Salvation, intangible. The, the breastplate, you know, tangible. Righteousness, intangible. And so he says it right here. There are these, these two different realms. And the Bible says he initially shows up as a what? As a snake. Has anybody ever had a garden? Does anybody have a garden? Well, are you surprised when snakes come into your garden? No, that's not a surprise because that's where you would often find a, a snake. He's supposed to be there. So contrary to the way we have depicted him, the Bible says nothing about the fact that the devil shows up in red spandex with a pitchfork and a tail, right? That's not what it says. In fact, the Bible says he is a fallen angel, does it not? He's an angel. And he shows up in ways that you would never expect him to show up in. And he shows up in conversations that you had no idea he was behind. And he instigates activity that you had no idea that he was instigating. A lot of times we look at the activity, but we don't look at what's instigating, what's behind the activity. We look at the fact that Judas betrayed Jesus, right? Because that's what we see, not realizing that in John 13, it said that Satan put it in his heart to betray him. He's an instigator. He's a schemer. And the battlefield that he operates in is the minefield, planting seeds, planting thoughts, planting ideas for, for activities that will destroy you and destroy those closest to you, and he'll destroy you from the inside out. And again, he does not want this information to get out because he doesn't want you to know how he, he operates. Think, think about this. A church, I would say this, a church that has been maybe destroyed or divided it's not happened because of something that happened on the outside. It's because of what's going on on the inside. Division, maybe gossip has destroyed that. Think about your family. Your family is not torn down by what happens on the outside. You might blame something externally, but the reality is something that was external made its way internally into the family in order to destroy it. But your family is typically not destroyed by something on the outside. Because as long as you're strong, as long as you're together, as long as you're putting on the full armor, as long as you're protecting yourself, are you with me? 
then things on the outside can't get on the inside. You can say, hey, bring whatever you got, but my family, we're strong. You're not going to mess with us. It's usually on the inside. And so he's a schemer. He wants to destroy you from the inside out. He's behind some things. He's behind some conversations. He's behind some words that somebody's used to, to hurt you and then leave. And their words were like, like arrows into your soul. And you might not be bleeding, but you certainly haven't healed from those words. They're like scars in your life. That your spouse said something to you in a moment of frustration. And they didn't mean it, but it left a scar. That's how he operates. Maybe your dad told you he was going to come pick you up after school. And he didn't pick you up. And you waited and you waited and he didn't pick you up. And it left a scar. And now you have problems with authorities. You can't trust people in your life anymore. Everyone has to prove that they are trustworthy for you to let them in because it's left a scar. That's how the enemy operates. This unseen enemy wants to destroy you from the inside out. And I'm helping to expose his schemes, expose his, his tactics. And again, I know this can be confusing, but I think we have to wrestle it down. I think we need this. There are groups of people in this room that you don't know what to do with this or, or you know, what to even think about it. There's another group, again, that's binding and rebuking everything. And we have to wrestle this, this down. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine this week about this series and about uh, the, the topic that we are in, and this is what he said. He said, charismatics are distracted by the dramatic. That some people, when, when you really look at the way the devil operates in our life, it's not through these huge overt manifestations, these, these kind of crazy things. A lot of time, it's covert. But there are those people who are just looking for these, this big, you know, dramatic kind of way that the enemy operates, so they're distracted by the the dramatic, but let me tell you, you can't attribute every issue, every problem that you have to demon possession. Like your money issues, like your wallet isn't possessed. Are you with me? Like do better, spend less than you make, save, have a budget, right? It's not, you can't attribute that to demon possession. Your spouse and the relationship challenges that you have, your spouse isn't possessed, I don't think, right? They're not possessed. You know, there's, there's selfishness. There's unforgiveness. You know, you're, you're putting your wants, your desires over the relationship. Your spouse doesn't need an exorcism. They need manners. That's what they need. They need to be kind. They need to be loving. They need to be, be forgiving. You can't attribute everything to demonic uh, possession. You can't be distracted by the dramatic. Jesus was having a, a conversation with his disciples about this. They had run into a group of, of Samaritans, and Samaritans were always a little bit hostile towards, towards Jews. And his disciples, I think it was James and John, said, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? You want us to get them? And this is what Jesus said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. In other words, he's saying you want to do, you're trying to do a spiritual thing in your flesh, not realizing that, that you think you're accomplishing God's agenda by calling down fire, but what you're doing, you're going about it the wrong way. The way that you are going about it in your flesh has been dipped in the, the demonic. And it's the same way when people try to preach scripture to you out of a judgmental spirit. You ever notice that? They'll try to give you God's word and say, hey, you better get right with God because this is what God's word says. 
preaching to you out of a, a judgmental spirit, not knowing what manner of spirit they are. Trying to find the demon in you, they can't see the one in themselves. And so that's what's, what's happening. And Paul says, you have to be careful. Don't, you gotta watch out for these little subtle areas of your life. That's how the enemy works in your attitude. He works in your mind. He works in those snarky comments that you make about a coworker. He wants to work in, in all these different areas. He, don't let the, the little foxes come out and spoil the vine. The fudging on your taxes, uh-oh, right? That's not a big deal. Yeah, it is, it's a big deal. Those things. And so we need to know about our spiritual enemy is that he's patient. Somebody say he's patient. He's patient. And he'll wait and he'll lie in waiting, waiting for an opportunity to attack you when you are your weakest. Because everybody in this room has been gifted. You should know that if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what I believe, that you have, you have a gift and God has given you, you gifts. And what the enemy cannot take from you, by the way, is your gift. He can't take something that God has given you. But what he can take from you is your credibility. And if he takes your credibility, then he knows you can't use your, your gift because people won't receive that, that gift. And so the enemy will wait patiently in your, your gifting, in the strength that you, you have. He'll wait for you until a moment when you are, are weak. It's like Samson putting his, his head in the lap of Delilah, right? And she's like, come on, just put your, your head here. Tell me the secret of your strength. Tell me the secret of your strength. No, no, no. And the enemy doesn't attack when he's strong. But he says, eventually, I'm going to find out the secret. And when I find out the secret, that's when I'm going to send the, the Philistines in. I'm not sending them in when you're, you're strong. I'm going to wait till you're weak. And that's what he does. He waits until we are, are, are weak. That's why we need divine power, not just willpower. Can I tell you, the enemy is more resilient than you. He is more patient than you. He has more stamina than we do. And he will wait. He will do something in your childhood that he knows won't destroy you until you're an adult. Knowing if he can just wreck your, your credibility, he'll wait. That's why some of you have, have issues in your, your relationship. He's been, been waiting. Maybe you're, you've been together for years and years. Do you think the enemy wants you to stay together? He doesn't, so he's waiting. He's patient, and he starts taking out the intimacy. He starts taking out the, the love and the, the kindness in the relationship until you're nothing more than business partners living together wearing rings, having sex every now and then. He wants to take that, that away, and he's, he's waiting. And knowing that you can have an argument because the very next day at work, he's got someone waiting to set you up, waiting for you to take the bait, because if he can take your credibility. And the first place he wants to take your credibility, by the way, is in your home. Because if your children can see you without credibility, then he knows he can destroy the thing that's most important because the most important thing in your life might not be what you do for the kingdom, but it might be who you raise. Are you with me? Come on, church. Are you guys with me? Say amen right there because that's true. It might not just be about what you do in the kingdom. It might be about who you're raising, but if he can get your credibility with your children, have them cause to, to look at you, you differently, he's He's a schemer, and he waits patiently. So Paul says, put on your armor, your close combat armor, so that you can stand against the schemes of the enemy. Why? Verse 12, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against rulers, authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil. That's where there's three different Greek words that he uses that are principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness. He's not saying the same thing in three different ways. They're actually set up differently. In fact, I'm not going to go into a lot of this right now, but Satan's kingdom actually mirrors the kingdom of God. Did you know that every kingdom has a military strategy? You know what the military strategy is for the kingdom of God? It's, it's, it's angels. That's his military system. And we're going to talk about it, but there's different kinds of angels. The Bible says there are messenger angels. There are archangels. And something you should know about your enemy, he is not a creator. He is an imitator. And so he set up his kingdom to kind of mirror that of, of God's kingdom. However, there is a huge difference in power and in authority. Uh, even within God's kingdom, there are archangels, right? Michael and Gabriel are archangels, and they have different power. They, have, they are different in authority. How do you know that, Colby? Because in Daniel chapter 10, it says that there was a messenger angel sent to Daniel, and, and this messenger angel uh, came in, into contact with a principality, and the principality was even named as the Prince of Persia. And it said that principality would not let the messenger angel continue on the journey to give Daniel the message. And so he called for Michael, an archangel, to come. Different in power, different in, in authority. In fact, in Jude, there was another time the devil himself went toe-to-toe with an archangel over the body of Moses. And the archangel simply said, hey, 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 in the name of the Lord, I rebuke you. And the devil had to let the body of Moses go. Just like that. You know why? Because he's weak. He does not have the power. He does not have the authority, right, that, that God's system has, which, which means for you, by the way, have you ever had a bully mess with you? And you told that bully, hey, you can mess with me, but I got a bigger brother? That's kind of what it's like. You can say, you know what, Satan, you can mess with me, but I have someone bigger. His name is the Lord Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, leave my family alone, leave me alone, leave my marriage alone. That's what the Bible tells us, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue on heaven and on earth in both realms will have to confess that he is Lord. So when the devil starts messing with you, you say, let me go get my brother because you have a friend who's closer than a brother, and his name is, is Jesus. But the enemy, he's a schemer. He'll wait patiently, and you should know his attacks on you are not random. They are customized. They are tailor-made for you, and he will attack you when you are, are weak. And what I've learned in my life, my, my greatest temptations come when I'm just at the the, the beginning of a new season or a new door that God wants to open in my life. It seems like that's when the attacks are, are the greatest. Colby, where do you get that from? Well, I was reading my Bible in Matthew chapter 4. Right before Jesus began his public ministry, the devil, right, they led him into the wilderness. The spirit led him into the wilderness, and the devil was there to tempt him. And by the way, the devil only tempts you in three different ways. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. That's the only good thing you can say about the enemy. His, his tactics don't change. He'll tempt you in, in one of those, those three ways. And the devil told Jesus, bow down and worship me. And if you do, I will give you everything that you see. In other words, he was saying, sell out your calling for status. 
Sell out your, your calling so that you can be looked up to. Sell out your calling so you can be revered. Compromise your calling, Jesus, so that you can be looked up to, because that's how we say it. We don't call it pride. We say, I just want to be looked up to, because we think if we don't call it pride, then it minimizes and it covers up what we really mean. We want to be worshipped. That's what God calls it. People don't want to be famous, by the way. They want to be worshipped. They worshiped. He says, sell it out. Sell out that calling so, so you can have everything. The enemy will tempt you in your, your lowest point. They are tailor-made temptations for you. And let, and let me, I'll finish with this. Do you think the devil would be going through all this trouble in the spiritual and in the natural and working against you to live the full life that Jesus has for you if you were not valuable. I'm gonna tell you something, and I don't tell you this just to make you feel good. I don't know if you've realized that. I'm not super encouraging. I try to be. I'm not always. So I'm not telling you this so you feel good. I'm telling you this because this is the truth. You matter. You matter. And the enemy knows if he can get you, if he can get your credibility, then you can't use your gift because people won't receive it. If he can get you to, to scheme and to fight and to gossip and divide, that he can get you and, and destroy things from the inside out, that's what he wants to do. Why? Because you matter. You are important to God's kingdom and God wants you to live a, a full Life, And so I'm declaring in this series, and I'm declaring over our lives, is that our advantage is in our ability to wake up. I think we need to wake up spiritually. I think we need to open our eyes. And again, not just the eyes in our head, but the eyes of our heart. And see what's going on, because the enemy does not want you to be aware of how he operates. Because here's why, 2 Corinthians 2.11 Satan won't have an advantage over you. He will not be able to steal, kill, and destroy. He will not be able to infiltrate your family. He will not be able to infiltrate your mind. He will not be able to, to instigate his activity that he wants in your, your life. He does not have that advantage because we are not ignorant to his Devices. In other words, once he gets exposed, he has lost his edge. And I'm exposing, in Jesus' name, the attacks of the enemy and the works of the enemy in our life. And I'm exposing the fact that he's crafty, that he's a schemer, that he wants to destroy from the inside out. And I'm exposing the fact that we need to put on the full armor of God, not some of it, but all of it, so that we can stand our ground against his schemes. And again, I don't know where you stand with any of this. This is kind of just a setup to where we're going. We're calling this unseen but not unknown because I don't want us to, to be ignorant of the way he operates. We're gonna talk about knowing your enemy even more in depth than we have. We're gonna talk about knowing the arsenal of weapons that you have at your disposal against the enemy. We're gonna talk about knowing ultimately the ending because we win. Like ultimately we, we win. That God's side is way more powerful 
than the side of the enemy. And whether you believe it or not, in fact, you don't have to believe it to understand that it's impacting you. You don't have to, to be engaged in the battle to understand that there is one that's happening. And we're just gonna open our eyes to be aware of the works of the enemy. Would you just pray with me? God, I pray right now that your word would take root in our hearts. And I, I pray right now against the spirit of condemnation that wants to move in somebody's life right now. That believes that, that they are no good, that believes that um, the mistakes that they've made, the things that they've done, the past that they have defines who they are. And God, the enemy wants to bring condemnation. You bring conviction. And conviction means there are things in our lives that we can change, that we can present and, and come to you clean and, and, and be made new and different. Condemnation means we can never change and we can never be the same. And the enemy wants us to live there, but you don't want us to live there. Because if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so God, we're praying for people in this room and watching online as you are drawing them by your spirit to you right now. God, that we would um, expose the way the enemy works. We would expose that, that condemning spirit, God, that would keep us from taking our next steps with you. For those in this room or those watching online, the next step that you need to take is to surrender your life to Jesus. You haven't made that declaration. You haven't taken that step of faith. And you need to know that for God so loved you that he sent his son to sacrifice his life on your behalf to pay for your sins so you would not have to pay for them. All the ways we've messed up, all those things that, 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 that the enemy wants to keep you condemned in can be removed. Guilt, shame, all gone the moment that we confess Jesus is Lord. That is the grace, this free gift of grace that God gives us through his son that we can't earn it. The Bible says we just have to believe it. We have to confess Jesus as Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we would be saved. I wanna lead you in a prayer wherever you are. Maybe you're in this room, maybe you're online watching right now that does just that. That's your next step. You need to surrender your life to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to come live inside of you, give you power, and an authority that you did not have over some of these things that you've struggled to get free from in your life. And I believe he wants to do that for you. You just pray something like this, Jesus, today, I give you my life. I invite your spirit to come live inside of me. I repent for my sin. And I believe, God, that, that the sacrifice of Jesus is a once and for all sacrifice. Cleansing my past, my present and my future. And so I confess you as Lord. And I believe that God raised you from the dead so I could be raised to a new life right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.